Uh, if you want to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 8, I titled this, this message, Finding Jesus in the Storm. Finding Jesus in the Storm. The key passage is um, in Matthew chapter 8 is where I'm going to go for. Although this, this story, um, interestingly enough, even though it's just a few verses, is actually repeated in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels being uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they're synoptic because they're synonymous. They have a lot of similarities to them. Frequently, some of the stories are, uh, are the same or they took a different picture, like a different snapshot of the same event um, and they might have recorded things slightly different. So this particular story, the story of uh, the disciples out on the Sea of Galilee in the boat with the storm, is actually repeated in Matthew, uh, Mark, and in Luke. So, and I'll be, as I kind of go through this, I might actually pull, because there's a couple of other interesting points that we get out of like Mark's gospel that's not recorded in Matthew, but we're going to read Matthew to start. So starting in uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And when he, Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and the sea obey him? Father, we just give you thanks as we um, take a look over the next uh, minutes, over the next period of time, as we take a look at this passage. I pray that you would give us, as Ron said earlier, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and for us to comprehend and to take away everything that, um, that you want to give to us, that you've prepared in advance for our hearts today. And uh, I don't know where people are at, but you do. And I just ask, Lord, that um, wherever we find ourselves, equip us. That's what we're uh, about. We're about meeting with you. We're about worshiping you, God. We're about connecting with you. And as we explore the truth of this story, um, would you connect our hearts in such a way and build up our holy faith in you and that it would have the perfect end result that um, you have desired even from before the foundation of the world. Thank you. Amen. All right, so this passage, pretty familiar story. Um, we use it like in Sunday school, children's lessons and everything. And uh, we were actually going through, in our house, we've been reading through the Bible in our devotional times, just like stories. We've been spending most of our time in the Gospels. And... Um, so this, this particular passage actually really stood out to me when we were doing some of our Bible readings. It doesn't take a whole lot of understanding, I think, when you actually look at this story to realize that it's probably not recorded in the eternal Bible. And you know what I'm talking about? Like, the Bible says in Peter that the grass is outside wither and they fade and they fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So, I mean, the Scriptures are not passing away. Heavens and earth, Jesus said, will pass away, but the Scriptures won't pass away. And, and I've said this before probably, and I'm sure Paul has brought this up, but if God's repeating stuff, then usually, I mean, that means several things. He wants us to get to know it. And, and secondly, I mean, He understands us as sheep that frequently we need the repetition, that we don't get it easily on the first go. And this story actually appears three times. 
And it, it probably is not there to teach us about what we're supposed to do if we're on a boat in the middle of a storm physically, like from a nautical perspective. Like, that's probably why, not why God put it into eternal scripture forever. So we can agree on that, that there's, there's a deeper aspect to the story that we want to look at, okay? It's actually here, so then, yeah, so then we have to, when we approach the scriptures, we should ask ourselves, well then, why is this story here? And, and the story is there, obviously, to teach us something about ourselves. It, it happens specifically um, for the disciples to learn something, too. And then, of course, just like in all of the Bible, we read the stories and we get encouragement for, from them because they directly apply into our own lives. I'm amazed, again, just amazed again at how a couple of verses of the Bible and a simple story can actually have with it such eternal truths in it that we can actually meditate and think about and consider and talk about these things for years and years and years and years. And this is only just a couple of verses. But that's kind of what I expect out of the God. Like, it's not just the Scriptures. You know what I'm saying? The Scriptures are amazing. And we should honor the Scriptures in such a way that we realize that the Scriptures have been given to us by God. That there actually, there's a living God who has recorded his thoughts and his words into the text so that we can have understanding, so that we can understand him. So this story is actually primarily about, it's mostly there to help us recognize the greatness and the majesty and the power and the authority and the might and the nearness of Jesus Christ in the middle of a difficult circumstance. In the middle of a difficult circumstance. It's also there, as I said before, just as God had ordained this situation to take place in the lives of the disciples, as most scriptures, therefore, and you guys could probably quote this with me, but um, second, I think it's uh, Second Timothy 3.16 that says that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for four things. For doctrine, that is to teach us something about God. For reproof, that is to unveil our hearts and frequently, like, uh, areas where, where our thinking, our heart thinking and mind thinking is not correct for correction. In other words, yeah, this is not, this is not like in accordance with my will, but this is. And then instruction in righteousness that we might be, uh, that the man of God might be adequate and equipped for every good work. And so this is why we have these texts here to learn something, um, about God and also about ourselves. So point number one of the message is, God's apparent silence in the tempest at times seems like indifference. That's the first thing I want, I want to pull out of this. And there's so many different ways to look at this text. You realize that we can look at it from a church perspective because is Jesus not there? Is that not the church on the boat? Yeah. And, and like Jesus is sleeping in the middle of the tempest. I'm looking at it today. We're going to approach this text from a personal standpoint. And at times... God's apparent silence in the tempest in our personal lives can seem like indifference. So let's make some observations from the text, okay? Just some basic observations from the text. Number one, Jesus actually had an incredibly busy schedule leading up to this event. So if you're in Matthew, just flip back. A couple, let's look at the context of this whole thing. If you flip back a couple of chapters, you know what starts in chapter 5, right? It's the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons ever given. There is so much truth 
in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, and it's like three chapters, just five, six, and seven, just filled with, with teachings uh, from Christ. I was talking um, the other day, we were at our house and um, something happened and, and I got upset and you know, I'm kind of going through the Bible and, in a year and stuff, so we were, I'm kind of rolling through Leviticus and uh, in numbers at this point in time, you know, and I'm like, hey man, an, an eye for an eye, an eye for an eye. If you injure my game controller, you must replace it. An eye for an eye. There's no mercy in this particular arena. There's only justice in my house in certain arenas, you know. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of turns that stuff over. You know, think about, think about some of the teachings that you know from the Sermon on the Mount. You know, like the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He talks about us being salt and light. He talks about how he came to fulfill the law, not just to abolish it, but to fulfill it so that those who are his followers can have the righteousness of God actually imparted to them on the basis of faith. We get that later on, you know, as, as the gospel gets more unveiled. But he's, he, he has teachings on anger there and about um, being angry with one another and being forgiving, about loving our enemies. And, he start, and then he begins to turn stuff over. You've heard it said, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you what. What should we do for, for people that injure us? Pray for those who persecute you. Love them. And he's like, he's beginning to, to turn stuff around. In fact, he uses some language, some really interesting language. We talked about this um, uh, last week, actually, in, our, in one of our family devotional times, about how Jesus actually said that um, you can't take new wine and put it into old wineskins. And you don't take uh, pants with a hole in them and then take an uh, unshrunk piece of cloth and then put it on the hole because so, when, you, when you wash it, it's going to rip open when, it, when the patch shrinks and you're going to have a larger hole. And, and so this is what he's doing. He's dismantling things. He talks about uh, loving your enemies and giving to the needy. And he has a section in there on, on prayer and how we are to approach God. And, and so we get the Lord's Prayer out of there, right? And don't lay, he talks a little bit about fasting and approaching God through that, laying up our treasures in heaven, talking about what, what comes into our eye and have, how it has an impact. And, and then he talks about, which I think has a direct allocation to the story that we're getting into, where he says, don't be anxious for stuff. Don't worry about these things. Don't you know? I mean, look at the, look at the grasses of the field. The flowers are there one day and they're gone the next. I saw on the internet the other day a picture of a flower that like blooms like once every 30 or 40 years or something. It's like some huge flower. I mean, it's like the largest flower in the world, I think it said on the little caption. I don't know if I believe everything on the internet, but it was really cool. And it only blooms like one, like it's on a clock. God actually has this thing on a clock and it only blooms once. Like, and it's only there for a couple of days and then the leaves just fall off. And, and Jesus says, yeah, that's really amazing that we do that, that God does that, but um, it's, it's clothed in the grass, is there one day, gone the next. And he's saying that even Solomon wasn't clothed in that sort of glory. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't you know that God, and he talks about like he numbers all the hairs on your head and, and God cares for you. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, how much more uh, value are you to him. And so he's like, don't worry about this kind of stuff. And then he talks a little bit about, about judgment. Again, asking talking about us being like trees and bearing fruit. And then he ends the, he ends the Sermon on the Mount with, with a passage that I know my mind, just, it, always, it comes back to it lots of times. And what, I, what it is, is he says, look at, 
I want you to absorb. If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, I want you to absorb my teachings, breathe them in, consume them. He says, like in John, Jesus says, abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you're going to have life. And in other passages, it says, if we don't do that, we cut ourselves off from life, right? So he wants us to abide. And in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you listen to my words, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see, and you appro- appropriate them, you believe in them, you fold them in, and they get, the truth gets folded into the fabric of your life, then you're going to be compared to a man who builds his house on a what? On a rock. On a rock. So he's like, if you listen to what I have to say, and you, you, you come and you follow me as a disciple, you build your house upon a rock. And when the winds come and the storms blow, your house is not going to get easily shaken. But if you don't apply what I'm saying, if, if the words that I'm sharing, Jesus' words, if the words that I'm sharing you don't appropriate into your life, if you don't apply them, if you don't follow them, then you're like a man who builds their house upon the sand. And when the hurricane force comes and the winds blow and the rain falls down and the lightning's coming, your house will crash and great will be that crash. And then right after that, um, almost immediately after this long day of ministry, it seems like he goes in, he heals a, a leper. So another guy comes up. This is the beginning of chapter 8. He comes down from the mountain. The crowds are there. And there's a guy who's like, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, is, and Jesus is like, I am willing. Be clean. And then I love it. Don't you love, We talked about this too at our house recently. But why is it that Jesus is always like, and don't tell anybody when I did that. Don't, don't, don't tell... Is he using like reverse psychology? Like sometimes he tells people, go and tell them, like the, the Gerasenes demoniac, go to Decapolis. And other people, he's like, don't tell anyone that I did that. And it's almost like, he mo- it's almost like he's like the master, because he is the master and Lord, but he's like, he almost knows exactly what he needs to tell us to get us to go and declare his goodness, you know? Because some people are like, hey, don't tell anybody. Well, you gotta, you're not going to believe what Jesus did. You know, he's like, now forget, just do, go in the opposite direction. But uh, that's not our story. He cleanses this guy. Then you have the story of the centurion um, from Capernaum. And he's like, hey, my servant is, at, is paralyzed at home and he's suffering. And Jesus is willing to heal him. And um, so he's going. He's like, I'm not worthy to go. And, but I know because I'm a man under authority. You know, he tells a story. And, and Jesus heals the guy anyway. And then he says this about the, the centurion. Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and to the centurion, he turns... Don't, Jesus like, is always doing this. You know what I'm talking about? There's another story, too, that comes to mind in my life that... Uh, in the Gospels that I think about like this, where he takes someone that's outside of the people of promise, that are outside of Israel. But don't get me wrong. Was God always willing for people to be absorbed, aliens to be absorbed? Dude, he put all kinds of laws in place saying, you will accept the aliens. They will have a place even in the Passover celebrating. You will love them. You will provide them. Like, God is so about that. But uh, this one story where the woman comes up and she wants Jesus to heal her daughter. And, um, and Jesus almost like, it's, he almost is mean a little bit. You know what I'm talking about the story? Where she's like, will you please heal my daughter? And he looks at her and he calls her a dog. He's like, look, I've come for the children of Israel. Shall I take the food, 
the teachings, the healings, the promise of deliverance, the promise of opening up eyes, the promise of healing? Should I take the food that's been given to the sons of Israel and throw them to the dogs, to the Gentiles? And, and like, I don't think he said it like that, I'll be honest with you. You know, when you read the texts, when you read the Gospels, you read Jesus' words, do you have inflections in your mind about how he says certain things? Because, you know, like when we read the text, we can actually change the way that he said things just by changing, the, communication is really interesting, by changing the inflection of our voice. And have you ever been in a situation where someone like quoted Christ, quoted one of Jesus' sayings, or read from the text, and using the inflection that they did, like your heart immediately was like, I don't know if he would have said it exactly like that. Like that doesn't seem to be, like I know him a little bit, and that doesn't seem to be in the voice that I would think that he would speak in. And in this case, he's like, um, should I th- take the food and give it to the dogs? And do you remember her, what happened with her, what she said? Incredible. She's like, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And you know, see, the, you know that he knew her. Like he could see the faith of her heart in advance. And what he was going to do is, you know, bring kind of a hard statement to pull her demonstration of faith, and then he takes her faith and then beats the Israelites with it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm telling you, like, this, and he does the same thing with the centurion. There's no one, I haven't seen this sort of faith. And, and, and these are the people of promise who have the words, who should be expecting me. Like, you should see this, and this is important when we get to the story, as I'm building it up, okay? And then what does he do? He goes to Peter's house, he heals his mom, so that she can make some food with her, make some food and serve them. That'd be a cool gift to have from time to time. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had a party over at your house or whatever, and then someone isn't feeling well, uh, things don't go right. Anyways, he heals them. So again, what I want you to get the story of is that they're hearing Jesus' teachings. They're seeing him cleanse the lepers. They're seeing him heal people even from afar. And Jesus is taking the lives of people and demonstrating how important faith is in their lives. He even goes to Peter's house, heals his mom, and then you get this little interesting story about this guy from the crowd, right? This guy from the crowd. Now, Jesus saw a crowd around, and he gives orders. He's like, all right, let's go. We're out of here. Isn't it interesting, too? He's like, he, he'll stay for a little bit, and he's like, hit man, we're out of here. Let's go. Did everyone get healed? A lot of people did in his ministry. Some people probably did not, and they were following him around. Um, so he's like, let's get out of here. We're going over to... And then some guy's like, teacher, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And he knows, we don't have his name, but he knows our hearts. And, he's, and he quotes, he says... Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The cost of discipleship is huge. The cost of discipleship is huge. People need to, need to weigh out, am I a disciple of Christ? Am I a disciple? And by the way, just, this is just a, a little bit of a pet peeve, but um, Jesus didn't say, go and make a bunch of people to get confessions of faith. He even didn't, didn't, didn't even say, go and make believers. You know, that adhere to some form of uh, spiritual affirmation, you know, or confirmation. He said, go and make disciples, and you come and follow me. You follow me. You be my disciple. And, and so I want you to be my student learner. So there, this is the, some observations about what's going on. All the, and you know this, too, that when he's like, all right, let's go, does he know what's going to happen? I can guarantee you he probably does. He knows what's going down. Now, he just finishes a huge day of ministry. I mean, just all kinds of stuff happening. Just people, you know, just... Uh, and, and ministry can be incredibly draining, and it's amazing because he's human. He gets into the boat, and in the stern of the boat, lays down on a cushion, and goes to sleep, and they start heading over the Sea of Galilee. 
Now, we, we get from uh, Mark that this actually all went down at night. So it was at evening. When evening had come, he said to them, let's go. So after this long day of ministry, he's like, okay, let's go. So we get in the boat, and it's dark, and he goes in, and he falls asleep. So that's the context of the story. Night had fallen. Jesus was tired. He falls asleep on the trip. This is actually the only story, too, that I'm aware of uh, in the Gospels where the scriptures actually record that Jesus went to sleep, which is, which is uh, interesting for us because he's deity, right? He's humanity and deity, hypostatic union. Like, he's fully God and fully man, and he has all the limitations of man, but also combined with the power of, of God, of God, through the Holy Spirit, giving us an example to live in, right? So, he steps into the boat, and the scripture says, in the night, a great storm. In one of the Gospels, it says, a windstorm arose on the sea. Now, the, the Sea of Galilee is actually, um, it's kind of in a valley, and it's known for tempestuous windstorms coming down without hardly any warning whatsoever and, and violent storms happening on this, on this sea. I actually, um, and, and I've said this before, if you have a computer, get good Bible software. If you're going to spend $1,000 on your computer, spend a couple hundred bucks and get good Bible software. The computer primarily should be used to get to know Christ and then shout his fame into the, into the cyber world. Okay, that's my opinion on that anyway. So um, get good software. I, am not, I haven't been to Bible college at all, but my software tells me that the word great storm, this is the Greek words, ready? Megas seismos. Even I, a complete noob in the area of Greek, can get megas seismos. I can actually understand that, right? In fact, what does it make you think of, seismos? Earthquakes. That, that word actually is, is translated earthquakes in many other places. And just a total rabbit trail, what's up with all of these earthquakes lately? Just throwing that out there. It's like every week I'm getting something on my phone about another massive earthquake somewhere. And just so, to get the juices flowing, you guys have been reading like in the end of Matthew, read those chapters, right? Because what does it say there? That before one of the signs of his coming will be what? One of the oncoming things of the birth pangs that the earth is getting ready to receive her king. He's coming back in all of his glory and might and with his, old, with his angels to be marveled at among those who believe, okay, is, is that there's going to be earthquakes in various places. I'm not saying that he's coming back this year. I'm just saying that that's one of the signs that he talked about. And he said, look at the fig tree. So just thinking about it, right? Mega seismos, earthquakes, tempest, shaking commotion, Fierce gusts of winds, all right? We have tempests in our lives. We have these. And this is where we can begin to apply this story directly, even though it was from 2,000 years ago. We're going to peel out of their situation and bring it into our lives. What are some of the tempests that we actually go through? And this is absolutely not an exhaustive list, but here's a couple that I wrote down, okay? Number one, chronic illnesses in our lives or in the lives of people that we love. Chronic illnesses. People that are, are suffering with difficult physical um, challenges. Um, right now, there's a, there's a man that I follow. He's a, a pastor down in um, uh, Texas. His name's Matt Chandler. On Thanksgiving, uh, he was having dinner with his family, and he fell down. He had a seizure and fell down. He went into the doctor. Within a week, he was in surgery for uh, having a brain tumor removed. And he doesn't... 
he, he doesn't have, they didn't get all of it, so now he's under radiation. He's going through radiation and some chemotherapy. Um, he's doing a V-log. Him and his wife have decided to suffer through this. Like God has been growing uh, the, numerically the church that he's pastoring uh, down in Texas in, in an enormous way. And he has decided, him and his wife Lauren, and they have three little kids. One of them is like eight months old. And uh, he has decided, him and his wife have decided to suffer publicly with this, with this illness. So every week he does a V-log, like a video log, that you can watch on YouTube or go to his website and look it up and he's blogging about it and him and his wife are talking. Like, they're, they're physically talking about their challenges. Uh, one of the things, too, that he's shouting about is a little girl. Her name is Kate McCray, uh, another pastor uh, over in Arizona. She was five years old last summer. Um, they have three children and they went to uh, a water park and the littlest girl um, started to have tremors in her hands. And so they took her into the doctor um, that week. They, in fact, I think it was that day. They didn't even stay at the park. And she had an MRI. And she has a very aggressive brain tumor at five years old. And so now, um, as we're following through the story, just recently, over the last couple of months, they, they decided, after praying through things, they decided to put her um, into the hospital and do an incredibly aggressive amount of chemotherapy. One of the chemo drugs that they, were, that they put into her body actually was so um, aggressive that it actually comes out through the pores of her skin. And she has to take a shower every six hours. She has to have all of her linen on her bed changed every six hours. She has to cha- um, her mom can't even touch her skin without wearing gloves during the chemo treatment. And, um, and I'm saying that like they're making a decision to put a, a very aggressive and violent drug into their six, I think she's six now, but into their six-year-old daughter's body in an effort to kill that tumor in her head. And that's a storm. That's a serious storm that they're going through. And, and again, they're sharing it in a public way, you know, uh, for prayer and for edification and for building up. And that's what the body is all about. So chronic illnesses are some of the storms that we face. Some of you might be facing challenges in your own body. And it's like, why? What is going on here? Another storm that we face, um, for those of you who are parents, is the possibility of rebellious children. You know, you have children, and, and even if they grow up and move out, that doesn't mean that you're disconnected from them. It's not like, like Jesus said, um, you can't just say korban and cut them off and just be like, yeah, you're not related to me anymore. They came from you. You are their mom. You are their dad. And, and even though um, they might not have the, the, the presence of mind to realize that their rebellious decisions and their decisions to make choices to kind of destroy them, um, they're like, hey, it's, it's about me. It's not about you. They don't seem to realize, but they're pulling you into that whirlwind with them. They're pulling you into the whirlwind. And it's like, why, God? Like, I prayed for this child all of, of their life. Where are you at? Are you, are you not able to do this? Another one that's facing us a lot of times right now is money shortages and job opportunities. I mean, we, don't, um, we have friends and family members and people in the church that ha- have been out of work for long periods of time. Some of them are wondering they were able to get unemployment. Some people can't get unemployment. And they're wondering, well, when is the unemployment going to end? I have payments. I'm getting behind. What's going to happen with my family and the house? What's going down? And so financial stress has come in, and we have that sort of storm happening. Some people are struggling, even within the church, in their marriages. And they're going through times of, of, 
um, tempest in their marriage, in their connection between husband and wife. And, and sometimes, just to be honest with you, like those, tr- those struggles, I have found, sometimes those struggles aren't even uh, made aware to, to people, maybe due to shame or other reasons. Um, they're holding it until the point until like it's so fractured. Like the marriage is so fractured and help wasn't gone after at all, that, that it takes a dynamic cleansing, a healing of Christ, to even begin the steps of reconciliation. If you're in that case, you need to know uh, that's what this message is about. That's what the story is about. And then there's another type of tempest that, that isn't um, necessarily based on externals that we don't have any control over, um, like other people and, and uh, storms and other kinds of things that are outside. But there's also... For some people, they're struggling with another type of tempest. It's the tempest of weight and shame of sin, even in the lives of Christians, where like there's bondages in our lives sometimes, and, and sometimes we're going to God, and, and like Paul, we're saying, I want you to remove this thorn from me, and I don't understand why this thing has such control over my soul. And we're struggling with it. We're wrestling with it. And we're not understanding where are you at? Are you going to bring deliverance for me? And, and another, just a, another thing too, and I'm, just, I'm going to be real honest and transparent here, but there are some times in my life where I don't even feel bad about it, even though I know it's wrong. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like there's certain, I know that, um, that anger unrighteous anger is sinful. But there are some times in my life where I'm just going to get my mat on. And I don't feel bad about it at all. Like, I'm just going to be like, bam! And there it is. And I might not even... So there's some things, like there's some areas of sin in our lives, and this is scary, where we know that it's wrong. We know that it's wrong. But we get so much pleasure out of it that it actually doesn't even bother us to be in bondage to it. We don't see it as bondage at all. And that's scary for a believer. That's scary. Um, so there's that sort of tempest that we're going through as well. Bondages that don't seem to be... And, and the disciples' response in this particular storm mirrors ours sometimes. It mirrors our response. Thus the reason why God recorded it in eternal scripture. And you know what I'm talking about. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38... Um, in Matthew, it says that they went and they, they woke him up because he was in the back of the boat, right? So, so you got this tempest storm happening. The waves are breaking into the boat and the disciples are like, we're going down, man! And you, you know pro- there's a good possibility because some of these guys, they were fishermen. They grew up on boats, okay? So this is probably like nautical stuff is not new to them. And in fact, probably like most men, they probably were like trying to solve stuff first. You know, and can't you just see Peter standing up like, all right, you, James, grab that. Judas, you get that one. Get the bucket. Who, who brought the, you guys didn't bring the bucket? What's wrong with you guys? Start pushing stuff out. And they're like, and, and meanwhile, Jesus is in the, in the back of the boat. So you get to the point where the boat's probably, you know, it's getting ready to go under. And someone's like, wake him up. What is he doing back? And Jesus is just totally just sleeping. No problems whatsoever. Some of you, uh, maybe you live with a spouse that is a heavy sleeper. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it doesn't matter what it is. They just don't wake up. They just don't wake up. I'm kind of like that. Uh, I, I had a, a cabinet camp 
that, that it was all missionary kids and, uh, and pastor's kids. And I remember at the beginning of the, that week of camp, like one of the pastors who was there ministering was like, I am so glad my son is in, and he said it publicly, is in Carrie's cabin. I am just so glad of it. And, and that week at camp, um, uh, they didn't have a ceiling in the camp, and they were taking the, the beds, uh, the mattresses, and they were putting them up in the rafters and sleeping up in the ceiling of the cabin, right? And I went to one of the leaders. I'm like, look, it, I got a problem. I got a problem with my cabin. He's like, what is it? They're sleeping in the ceiling. They're, just, they're sleeping up in the ceiling, all right? And I'm like, what should I do about it? Can I, should I force them to? I've asked them nice to get down, you know? And I tell them, like, I am not your dad, okay? I am not your dad. I am not here to be your dad this week. You're high school aged. And most of them were like graduating. And uh, so it's fine. Well, they sneak out on the last night of camp because I sleep heavy. I mean, they crawled out of the ceiling. They could have walked, and they had to like step on the bunk above me too, right? And they could have walked right out the door, but the dummies decided because it was more fun to jump out the back window of the cabin, which is high off the ground. You know, it's like way up here. The, the top of the window is like way up here, and they're jumping out. And then um, the next day, I get, I get one of the camp leaders comes up to me and says, you know, you know like uh, most of your kids are not going to be able to come back to camp next year. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, they snuck out last night. I'm like, what? And, and so, you know, they snuck out, and then they were, they were doing the guy thing, you know, like telling all the, the girls that they were interested in, because it's all summer loving, right? Summer loving, adding last. And the leaders, the adults are like, hey, Fall in love with Jesus, all right? Fall in love with him. That's what we're here for. And you just can't stop romantic hearts at youth camp, I guess. I don't know. We try our best, though. So, um, so they're all banned. I'm like that. I'm a heavy sleeper. Reg, man, she'll wake up. She, I mean, she can hear, like, a spider moving in the basement. I'm like, huh, I heard something. And then she's waking me up, and it takes, like, ten minutes to get up. You know, like, eh. like, what, what? And then usually, this is what really scares me, like, if I'm not awake, sometimes I'll talk. You guys have someone like that? And usually I'm mean. I'm usually mean. I don't know. It makes me afraid that when I get older, I'm just going to be like a really mean old guy if God like makes me, allows me to live a long time. Jesus is a heavy sleeper. And the guy's like, get him up. In fact, the, the text in Mark says, don't you care that we are perishing? And, and that's not funny anymore. But I mean, it, and it unveils, it unveils like the heart of the disciples. We are here trying to bail out. We're going to die. And you are just sleeping back there. Don't you care that we are perishing? Um, the songs are filled with this sort of idea. In fact, when we go through difficulties, you know, you probably find encouragement going to the songs. But here's a couple of verses for you. Just a couple. Psalm 10, verse 1 says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now, just so that you know, because um, I, I like to think through this kind of stuff, who wrote that? Ultimately, who wrote that? God wrote that. And sometimes we get to the point where we're like, oh yeah, yeah, that, that really wasn't God who wrote that. That was, a, you know, that, that was a hardship. You know, he was having a struggle with faith. No, God wrote that for us to understand something. That um, sometimes in the middle of difficult situations, God seems like he's being indifferent. It seems like he's being indifferent. Okay? He's giving us something. In Psalm 44, verses 23 and 24, um, the psalmist writes and says, Awake! 
to God. You know, this is like right out of the passage. Awake! They could have quoted this to him in the boat. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Why are you sleeping? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? That's Psalm 44. I mean, that's exactly what they were saying. What is wrong with you? Don't you care that we are perishing? And you know, here's one of the biggest problems that that, that I know in my own life and stuff, but we have a love for stressing the love of God so much that we don't give a balanced view of who he is. I'm, just, I'm being honest with you. We're like all, God is a God of love. He's all love. He's all love. Everything that he does is love. He defines what love is. And I'm telling you, that is true, but it's not fully true. You are not giving the, when we do that, we are not giving the whole scope and counsel of who he is. And I'll tell you where that's going to fail you. It's going to fail you when the storm happens, because this is what your soul will do. God of love, plus painful circumstance, plus I ask him to deliver me and he doesn't, equals I am mad. That's what, that's what, it, that's what it looks like. God of love, plus painful circumstance, plus his apparent absent, equals I am really upset with you. And what I'm saying is, if we don't understand this before we go into the tempest, or one of the reasons, if you're in one right now, I'm trying to build up on this, is so that we can understand him a little bit more. A little bit more, so that we could be prepared. Does he love? Is he love? Yes, he does. And sometimes, he is silent, even in the middle of a difficult circumstance. That does not mean that he does not love me. That does not mean that he does not love Matt Chandler. That does not mean that he does not love Kate McRae, that little girl with cancer. Because he's not moving into that situation and just outright delivering her. Could he do that? Does he have control over it? Yes, he does. And we come to it and we're like, if you truly loved me, God of love, you will deliver me from this tempest that I am in right now. And, and so we, we end up trying to strong arm Elohim, our creator, El Elyon, the Almighty, saying that if you really love me, you will save me out of this. And God sometimes doesn't, he doesn't come through in that situation all the time. There's men that are born blind. There's babies that are born into the world and that have challenges, that, that, are, that are facing challenges. There are, there's the woman who had a flow of blood for 38 years. And she spent all of her money going to the doctor, trying to find healing at the hands of the doctor. And when Jesus came through, through town, remember what was happening, he was on, on the walk to the, another, another man's house to heal his daughter. Think about that. So here you got the story where um, this man is like, dude, my daughter is so sick. I wonder if Jesus will come and heal. I'm going to go. So he goes. He leaves her side, and she could die. But he leaves her side because he's thinking, and he gets over to Jesus, like, will you come and, and heal my daughter? She is so, she's just on the brink of death. And he is just holding his breath. Will God deliver me? And Jesus says what? Yes, I will go. And can you imagine like what that parent felt like at that moment? He was probably like, thank you, God. 
thank you, I have hope now. I did not have hope and I have hope now. So Jesus is en route and there's a crowd and what happens? This woman who's 38 years grabs the hem of his garment and she immediately is healed. Immediately she finds healing at at grabbing his garment because she's like, if I just grab his garment and what does Jesus do? What does he do? He stops. He stops the whole thing and he turns around. He's like, who touched me? Can you, imagine, can you imagine the dad? I want you to put your picture in, in, the, in the place of the dad who was like, we have an emergency. We have, what are you doing? Why are you delaying? Who cares who touched you? Why, we, we, please, let's just move along. We were heading in the direction. Please. You know, can you just, I mean, even if he didn't say it out loud, I'm sure that I, I know I would have been feeling that inside. And, and, and you get this idea because of God, God's... I think Jesus stopped because he loved her. That's, that's my personal opinion. I think he stopped because he loved her. He also stopped because he loved that man and that family and they were going to see the glory of God when he raised his daughter from the dead. Hello? That's just incredible. But think about the suffering that they went through to experience him in the middle of that tempest. And, and I think he stopped because of the woman because she was probably going to run away with the shame of having stolen healing from him. You know what I'm talking about? And she would have carried that burden. of thing. Like when he stopped and said, well, who did that? And I'm just going to run away. No, no, her faith was like, okay, I did it. I did it. And you almost think like, I get the feeling. She's like, please just don't take it away from me or whatever. And I think he did it to remove shame from her. That's why I think he did it. I think he stopped to say like, look at, and then he says, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go and celebrate. Go and, you know, and he freed her from the fear of having stolen healing. And, and now the dad is like, dude, what's going on? And, it, you know, and they finally get back on the track. Think about these stories. They're there for a reason. They are there for a reason. And this man is suffering. Point number two, God cares for us even if our fears, our tears, and our anxiety is blocking our view of him. God cares for us even if our tears, our fear, and our anxiety is blocking our vision. What I want to do here is for you to consider God. Just think with me a little bit about him, just in this person. And we'll go through him. The character of the triune God. Number one, can the Father ever be unkind? Can he ever be unkind? And I'm saying, I don't think he can be unkind. He can be hard. He can be just. But his justice is always meted out with mercy. And we have verses like, His mercy endures forever. His name and who He is is our sanctifier, our healer, our redeemer. His essence is love. It is love. That is true. That's who He is. He cannot stop from loving. He defines what it is. He delights in mercy and He never changes. He's not going to change next month. Next month, he's not going to become unmerciful. There's nothing in, in, in his future at all that's going to change him. He is immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will not change. And Jesus says stuff like this about him. If we, as parents, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our Father in Heaven, who is a perfect Father, know how to care for us? He knows exactly how to do it. Can Jesus forget the ones 
that he was born for? Can he forget the ones that he lived for? Can he forget the ones that he died for? Can he forget the ones for which he was raised? He's taken on human nature. He's been made in all ways, just like we are. He's faced the tempest, just like we have. Did he go through his own storms? Absolutely. You know, um, and you need to have this in your back pocket, but we're getting ready. We're in our, what is it, the fourth week of Lent, I think it is. So we're in, um, uh, we're in the middle of a season of time when we're remembering the passion of Christ. And it's, it's coming, Easter is coming, the passion and, and the resurrection of Christ. And um, you need to have Psalm 22 in your back pocket. Psalm 22, I believe, was wrote through David, like God had David suffer in some way, and then the Holy Spirit pre-wrote Jesus' prayer from the cross in Psalm 22. And it starts with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, I don't think that when he quoted Psalm 22, verse 1, on the cross, that he was just being a, a good teacher on the cross. Like from the cross, he was just saying, Hey, uh, don't forget, check out Psalm 22, because what David went through was like what I'm going through now, and I want you to go and check. And he's doing some form of like uh, classroom instruction from the cross. The Holy Spirit pre-wrote Jesus' prayer on the cross. He actually was suffering the anguish of loss between him and the Father. There was sin happening there. There was something happening, and he was feeling like the Father was forsaking him. And even before that, in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the middle, right before the tempest actually really comes, Jesus experiences his own pre-tempest, and what happens? He actually comes to God, and he's like, if you are willing, you can, remove the, can you remove this cup from me? But not my will, but yours be done. So here in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, precious, precious scripture, where we see Jesus in the middle of a storm, he can identify with us. Can he turn from us? Has he not graven our names in the palms of his hands? Has he not done that? Can you look at the cross and the empty grave and the birth of Christ and the resurrection and the ascension and think for a minute, even in very difficult circumstances, that Jesus Christ does not care for you personally, that he does not care for me, that he does not care for us as a church, that he does not care for the world? That he does not. And then we have the Holy Spirit where Jesus says, it's better if I go away because if I go away, I'm going to ask the Father and he will send you another, and do you remember what it says in John, what he calls the Holy Spirit, Pericle, which is what? Comforter. I'm going to send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us at the time of our, of our salvation, at the time when we are born again. He is the promise, the down payment that we're given for our, for our salvation. But it's much more than just some sort of like WWJD bracelet. He's the presence of Christ. He is the very presence of God ministering the very grace of God from God's throne which is in heaven and the earth is His footstool and the Spirit communing with our hearts bringing His comfort. He is the one um, who illuminates the very promises of God. If you, in the middle of a storm, remember anything about God's faithfulness, it's because He brought it to your remembrance. And I'm just telling you, sometimes when He does that stuff, I don't want to hear it. Sometimes. 
I'm just being honest with you. Like I told you before, there are occasions where I want to get my mat on. I want to get my mat on. I am upset with something, and it has, it's having, you know, like the storm is in me. It's not outside. It's inside of me. And what's the Holy Spirit doing? Okay, be careful. Be careful where you're at. And he, and he does this. And he'll be like, you're, you're getting close. And he, he holds out to me the fruit of, and we don't talk about this very much, what? Self-control. He holds out the fruit of self-control. Because to be honest with you, um, some forms of anger, even anger that rise up within us, it's not sin initially. It's what we do with it. What we do with it can become a transgression. Okay? And so, he's like, what are you doing? And I'll be, t- I'll be I'll tell him, just being honest with you, there are some times when I get so emotionally upset about a situation, I'm like, Almighty God, get into your corner and just close your eyes for a minute because I am getting it on now. And I'm, I'm getting it on. And so I just like get the whip out and I'm just like throwing poo everywhere. It's just going everywhere. And it's just going all over. It's getting on me. It's getting on everyone else around me. And the storm is in me. And, and so, and I know the whole time the Holy Spirit's like, don't be doing that. Now, now it's going to cost you more. It's going, to co- it's going to take a lot longer. So now, now what ends up happening is after my little explosion, I have to get, get with God because, you know, Psalm 51, another one. Like, get that one in your book, you know. It's like, against you and you only, I have sinned. I'm like, okay, I recognize that the poo I just flung was namely at you. I, I just did the monkey thing and I did it at you. That's what I did. And, and on top of that now, I've also made a mess around, with the people around me. So now I'm having to repent before God, and now I have to go and repent before others. You know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking, my heart hates humility. Even though it's my love, it hates the fact that I have to take uh, responsibility, cause, and that's the knowledge of good and evil within us. But we have the Holy Spirit that does the same thing. He is the presence of God. He will never leave us. Jesus said he will be with us forever. Forever he will be with us. And if this is our triune God, can we say that he does not care, even though it seems like his apparent silence is indifference? Is he indifferent? Absolutely not. Look at the history. And now I want to recall, this is just doctrine. What I'm just telling you is doctrine. What about your personal experiences? What about your personal experiences when you went to Christ and said, I have leprosy? Are you willing to make me clean? And Jesus in that moment clearly tells you, I am willing. He touches you and you are cleansed of your leprosy. And you now have a personal testimony where you were in the boat, the storm was, was, was just going nuts, and, and you're just like, help me, help me, Lord. He delivers you. You get out of the boat on the other side and you look back and you're like, oh my goodness, even though I did not see him with me, he surely was with me all the way. We write songs about this. We, we sing songs about it. The psalmists have wrote about it. It happens. This ha- and you have personal experiences that you can draw down upon. Write them down. Don't forget them. Share them with other people. We don't get church right sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Church is not like going to the movies, although we treat it like going to the movies. It's like, sweet. I can go see church and I can go and sit in church and uh, I don't even have to pay nine bucks I don't have to pay the extra $3 for the 3D thing. It's totally 3D when I go there. I can sit there and be entertained. And, uh, and be, Church is about community. And we need to be sharing in one another's lives because the testimony that you have about Christ delivering you in the tempest, you share it with me. It comes at the perfect time, usually. It comes at the perfect time. 
And when you're silent, the, the possibility of us encouraging one another diminishes. Consider your personal history. What has he done for you personally in the past? David, when he was captured by the Philistines in Gath, he wrote this, You have taken account of my wanderings when I was... You remember, he was just kicked out of his home. Saul was trying to kill him and stuff, throwing spears at him, just all kinds of terrible stuff. He gets captured. He's like, You have taken account of my wanderings, and this is amazing. You have put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? What I'm saying is, this is our God. Yeah, he might seem silent in the middle of it, but do you know that every single tear that you've shed, God knows, and he's put them in a bottle somewhere? That every pain that you've suffered, that every difficult circumstance that you've gone through, he's wrote it down even if you haven't? This is the kind of God that we have. This is our merciful creator. This is the one that sometimes we turn to in the middle of a difficulty and say, don't you care about me? In Isaiah chapter 49, Zion, the Israelites, said to God, the Lord's just forsaken me. He's forgotten about me. He's just forgotten about me. And we get that way. Honestly, I'm just telling you, sometimes we get that way. And You might not say it like I just did, quoting from the scriptures, but practically you think it. We think it. We're like, he's just forgotten about me. I've asked him for help and he's just not listening to me. He's not answering my prayers. The, the, the Bible just seems dead to me. It's just not happening. He's just forgotten about me. And, and we begin to run in the opposite direction. And look, look what this says about God. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the sons of her womb? Even these moms might forget, yet I will not forget you. Isn't that incredible? I mean, think about it. If you're a mom or a dad, have you felt like that connection between you and your, and your, and your ch- children? I mean, it's pretty intense. I wasn't ready for it. I'll be honest with you. It freaked me out a little bit. It was like a whole different, it's like a whole different realm of, of love that God wants us to experience. And God says that human parents, human moms, sometimes will forsake their kids. I won't. I won't ever do that. My love is more perfect than that. And like a nursing mother loves her children, so my love is even more fierce than that. So don't believe the lie that I have forsaken you, Zion. Do not believe it. We need to have these promises. We need to know these things. We need to know these truths so that when this stuff comes down, we're not, we're not accusing God of something that is not true about him. But even if you do, it's okay. He's big enough to handle it. He's big enough to handle it. But chances are he's going to come and he's going to be like, he's just going to chiropractically Lord willing, begin to adjust our thinking and to relate faith, okay? All right. Point number three, almost to, the, almost to the end. Seeing Jesus is what brings the peace and the stillness in the storm. Why did they... You know that these guys, they were... I mean, do you guys have a, a good... Like, I have a really goofy picture of the disciples in my mind. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I'm thinking 12 guys, probably more living together for three and a half years, camping out for three and a half years. I mean, I know we, camp is incredible. I know what it's like to hang out with guys. It's, it's kind of gross sometimes. And, 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 and these guys, like, they're always arguing with one another about how great they are, you know. They're like, I am the great. No, I'm the great. I mean, even in the last day, they're still saying, like, I'm the greatest one. I'm the greatest one. No, I'm the greatest one. No, I'm the greatest one. And, and, and I just love Bo and Urges, you know, talking about the sons of thunder, right, James and John. That's like my favorite one of all... Serious man card revocation, all right? 
Do you know what I'm talking about? The story? They go and get their mom. And they bring their mom. They're like, Mom, Mom, this guy's for real. And we've been trying. We've been trying. But we want you. Like, he likes you. I think he likes you. So would you go and talk to him, please? Would you just go and talk to him? So they go and get their mom to go and talk to Jesus. And you know they're like behind. They're like behind, like, go, Mom, go, Mom. And they're... And she comes up to Jesus and is like, hey, I just want to let you know, because she's bold. You know, you, you, moms are bold. Their love is bold. So they're not afraid to go to teachers and be like, look it, you're not treating my kid right or whatever, you know. And uh, so, she, so she gets over there. She's like, I want you to uh, consider the possibility of letting my sons, James and John, sit on your right and on your left. <laughs> and she, can you just imagine Jesus just saying, like, oh, my goodness. First off, I'd be like, you two are going to see me after class. <laughs> And, um, and he says, you don't know what you're talking about. But there, there's total testosterone junkies, probably. And you see it throughout all the scriptures. And they're just always, you know that they thought last about going to Christ to, 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 to fix this issue, all right? Um, frequently, even the disciples of Jesus, we get our vision distracted. Now, I'm using the word vision here as interchangeable with faith because I want, I want to kind of just, bring a different angle of what faith looks like, okay? And what I mean by that is that um, sometimes, and, and when I came, um, um, when, when Jesus just like grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, my, my conversion experience was kind of like C.S. Lewis's. He sort of like dragged me in here. Um, when I started attending here, uh, I actually didn't start attending here because someone invited me. Um, I didn't find this stuff out till later. I don't know if I told you this story, but I started coming to church because God was crushing my spirit. He was, he was literally crushing me. And, like, I'm serious. You can ask Reg. I, I was like, he was, I didn't know this. I read it later, that, you know, how sin can crush your spirit. And um, that's what was happening. I came and I started attending church because I was trying to negotiate with him. I go to church. You stop doing whatever it is that you're doing in my heart. And so, you know, God has a way of getting things done. But early on, when I'm hearing the gospel, you get this idea about faith that it's all like, all right, I want you all to bow your heads and close your eyes. And uh, you need to know that uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, Acts 16.31, believe upon the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Um, don't you want to know that when you die, you go to heaven? So close your eyes. I'm going to pray a little prayer. Um, and then I want everyone who prayed the prayer with me, raise your hand. And now you know that you have eternal life and you're going to go to heaven when you die. And, and that's kind of the picture of faith that... That, that was painted for me early on. And I'm telling you, that is not the gospel. That is a false gospel. That's not even, that's not even a true gospel. That is a works-based gospel. And, and, and that is not true. Faith, is, that is not what it is about. Um, Christ did not come here so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. In fact, even though that is true for the believers, that's not even the end state. So we hold out some, we're, we're like pandering to, don't you want to have some good food? I used to do that with my dog. You know, like I didn't have a treat, so I like put my finger like this and I'd be like, come here little dog, come here. You know, and I try and trick the dog. I try and trick the dog into doing something that I wanted it to do, even though I didn't have food. I'd be like, eh, come. And, and we try and do that. We're like p- pandering to the hearts of people saying, don't you want fire insurance? Don't you know? And I've heard this kind of stuff. Don't you know that you can get in your car and, and, and get into an accident right outside here and you could die? And if you don't raise your hand right now, um, you, you're gonna, you, you'll go to hell. 
forever. And we use this emotional like uh, leverage, and that's not what faith is. I had kids um, in our own church, actually, who went to another, uh, another meeting, and the leader of the meeting actually knew that, that one of them was not a Christian, right? And they actually used every single shame tactic that they could to, to get and wrestle a decision out of them. I'm telling you, I was, I've never been so mad in the church. I have never been so mad in the, in the overall community of faith because I felt like that was paramount to like spiritual rape. Spiritual rape. I'm going to use that word. It's wrong. That's not what faith is. In fact, the gospel isn't even totally about you and me. It's mostly about him. It's mostly about him. And faith is seeing the worth and the glory of the created God of the universe becoming a man, taking on the sin of the world on the cross, bearing our healing in his body on that tree and taking it all on him so that we might have our sins forgiven and be pardoned. And his death was sufficient and his suffering was sufficient for all of the people in all of the world from Adam until the very end of the age. That one suffering to tell us die, it is finished. The gospel is more about Christ than it is about us. And faith is more about understanding and seeing the value and the treasure of the fact that deity entered into humanity, suffered for my sin, died, was buried, and was raised again the third day. Seeing is faith. It's not about fire insurance. That comes along with it. That comes along with it. But, you know, now it says before, heaven is, it wouldn't be heaven. Would, would heaven be heaven if Christ was not there? If that's not the case, or here's another way to test yourself, is Jesus your greatest treasure? I mean, this week, I haven't asked for this stuff, but this week I was at work, and I work on a computer, I work for the Federal Aviation Administration, and um, there was one morning when, like, the Holy Spirit was just like, and, and if you've never had this experience, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get kind of subjective on you here for just a minute, okay, um, to tell you a little bit about Unveil, how he works in my life. And um, he was just, like, just showering truth, like, in my mind while I'm trying to work. And I finally was like, it's almost, it's almost akin to being infatuated and it never going away. That's what it's like. And I finally was like, man, you're, you're so distracting me right now. You're so, it's kind of like love, like that sort of a love. And I'm saying that I didn't create that. He imparts that. He gives us that. We do not love because we love him because he loves us. And we share in the love of Christ to the Father. And, and it, I'm serious. Like it even becomes distracting. I'm like, man, you're just all over the place. Now, I wish it was like that sometimes when I'm in the middle of a storm. Because sometimes I find those experiences, those mountain experiences to happen when things are pretty calm. You know, it's like, hey, you go around. Because my heart frequently, when I get to suffering, um, heads in the opposite direction. Greg Laurie, I got this. I got this. This was a tweet that I got yesterday, and I, I thought, oh, this is just so cool. Greg Laurie is actually a pastor in California. He was the man, actually, that I started listening to on the radio that God really used to compress my heart. He was preaching. He's an evangelist, and he was preaching. And uh, actually, when I listened to him, I'm like, dude, I think he just said idiot. Can, can a pastor say idiot? That's just not right. But I really liked, I liked kind of what he was saying and God totally used him. Yesterday, he sent out a message that I got on my phone. It said this, when we see God for who he is, 
we will then see our problems for what they are. And so really, the idea here is we need to see Christ. We need to see Him. We need to see Him. The waves are breaking into the boat. The winds are blowing. Some of these men, have, they've made their living on their boats. I said that already. They finally wake Him up at the end. And I'm going to bring up a story here, actually, and, and, and here, because I use it in the 8 o'clock uh, service too, but we were, when um, Dewey bought that soundboard, they brought it here, and I was here, and we were trying to get the thing to work. And we worked on it for like an hour, and it wouldn't do something. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't doing something that we wanted it to do. And Anne Marie was like, you know, we should probably pray. And after like an hour of wrestling, and as, as we started to pray, a visual picture appeared in my mind of what I needed to do to hook up the soundboard. And I started to laugh, actually, out loud about it. And, at, and when we got done, I'm like, I think I know what we need to do. And we plugged it in, and it worked! And it was like, oh my goodness, had we not done that at the beginning, we wouldn't have wrestled for an hour. And I'm saying, if God cares about, and we didn't have Tim there, but if God cares about how to hook up that thing, which usually causes more trouble in the church than it might even be worth, okay, to amplify stuff, but if God cares about that, how much more does he care about our personal difficulties? So Mark says that Jesus, when they wake him up, that he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, and this is, this is recorded not in Matthew but in Mark, peace, be still. And man, he must have been loud enough to shudder the earth, another earthquake. And immediately a calm came. And there's a result in the lives of the, of the disciples. You know, they begin to marvel, but Jesus turns to them and what does he say to them? He says, um, why are you afraid? O oh, you of little faith. I don't, I don't think that it was like he's beaten up on them. I really think it was loving. This is the inflection thing. I think it was a loving thing. I think it was kind of like along the lines of saying this. Have you not been with me? Were you not with me throughout the whole day? Have you not seen me feed thousands of people? Leaven, leaven, leaven. Oh no, did someone forget the bread? That was another boat story, you know. When Jesus was like, don't beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And the guys are like, Oh, no. Dude, did you forget the bread? What, where's the bread at? And he's like, dude, I'm not talking about bread. I am not talking about bread. And, and in this case, did you not see me cleanse the leper? Did you not hear the Sermon on the Mount? Build your house upon the rock. Do you not know that I am he? I am, he. I am God. I am deity. I am here with you in the boat. This boat's not going down. I'm with you in the middle of it. Where is your faith? How can you be so forgetful, so fearful, when I am with you in the middle of the storm? It's nothing for Jesus to still the forces of which that he brought into existence. He holds everything in his hand. I sent out a message some days ago from C.S. Lewis that said that all of the suns and all of the nebula and all of the universe will all pass away and you and me will still be alive. You know that? That's because of God's faithfulness. And that's for everybody. Believer and non-believer alike. We will all still be alive. Every one of us. He will raise us all from the dead. It's going to happen. It is nothing for Jesus to still the forces that he placed into existence. It is nothing for him to reverse cellular levels of corruption, even in our body. And that's just a fancy way of saying that God can heal our sicknesses. He can do that. If he wanted to, he can do that. 
It is nothing for him to still the storms in our heart, including some of them that we create ourselves through poor choices that we make. Some of our lack of peace specifically comes from the fact that we have not invited him in to our situation. We just haven't done it. We haven't gone and got him up. You know, we're trying to solve the problem on our own. And like, don't get me wrong, God gives us a million ways to approach problems. He gives us ways to to figure out things with our mind. He wants us to use our mind. He wants us to use medicines. He wants us to use good, solid thinking, but not at the divorce of bringing him in from the very beginning of the problem. In an attempt to manage the storm ourselves, we often falsely believe that we just need to run from the problem. We we should run from it. It makes me wonder if some of the guys were like, I'm just going to swim for it, man. I'm just out of here. I'm just going to do it myself. Because that's what we do. That's what the the knowledge of good and evil actually does. In Peter, it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He might exalt you, casting your anxieties on Him. Casting your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. If we do not invite Him into the storms, then we will attempt to create peace ourselves, acting as our own deity, and we were never made to do it. In fact, I'll just say, we pretty much stink at it, even though we run to ourselves first and foremost almost all the time. It's unfortunate. The disciples on the boat, when they were confronted with Jesus' power, marveled. They saw him. Even though they had been with him and seen many things, they were still learning who he was. And I don't think that that's ever going to end, even in our resurrected state. He is always going to surprise us with his depth of who, that he, of who he is. The storm on the sea in the boat provided another opportunity to know Christ more, to see him more, and to unveil the frailty of their own faith in a way, in a loving way, to help build it up. Are you with me? And so that is where we need to be heading when trials and storms come our way. James McDonald yesterday, another one just sent out. Funny, like God's just sending me these little um, messages that I can grab onto. He said, trials we embrace and learn from. Consequences we repent and turn from. And we need to have the wisdom to know the difference. Because sometimes we're, we're embracing consequences that we're causing. In fact, sometimes we might even complain to God about a situation, for example, like with a marriage, where they're like, I don't know, it's totally the other person's fault. It's not my fault. And yet, part of the storm in the marriage is created by that individual. And, and there, might need, there might be some need for repentance there from one and both connecting together. We need to understand the difference between them. A lasting, perfect calm is coming. One day, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. One day all pain and sorrow will be removed. One day we will remember the former things no more. The Prince of Peace will conquer all of his enemies and usher in a new age. Death, disease, sorrow, pain, corruption, Satan. Here we have storms. And honestly, sometimes when we go to God, we want to know why. And sometimes he doesn't tell us why. In fact, even in Jesus' earthly ministry, when people would ask him questions, he would frequently divert the question into some other avenue of faith. Like Nicodemus, you know, 
you must be born again. Nicodemus comes and asks him a question. He's like, well, you must be born again. And you're like, what? And so sometimes we go to God and we're like, why am I in this? And God doesn't say, oh, I'll tell you exactly why. Because uh, three years from now, you're going to connect with another person at the Walmart. You're going to become great friends. Um, the difficulty that you're facing right now is going to, you know, and he's going to like unveil the entire fabric of everything that's going on. He doesn't always tell us why. But he will say, I am with you in the boat. Look at the cross. Look at the empty tomb. Look at your personal experiences. Share in the experiences of the people in the church who will testify that he is faithful. And in the middle of your storm, find him to be faithful. It's dumb to run unless it's to him. And we need to do it immediately when they come. And I would say if we don't learn it in times when we do have peace, then we're going to have difficulties when the challenges actually do come. In fact, we might find ourselves um, making more of a mess. But even so, we're never beyond God's presence. We come to him and we, we repent. Lord, I'm sorry for my weakness of faith. I'm sorry that I didn't come. Illumine my eyes so that I might run to you immediately. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask now that you would give us opportunities to, um, to understand that we, we need to live and move and have our being in you. We do already, even though sometimes we forget it. And um, I ask that in the middle of some of the storms that people are suffering, those that are here, those that are not here, those that are connected, family members of people here that are wrestling with the job, the job market and money and, and illnesses and all these things, we want to see your presence in the middle of these situations. And I just ask, Lord, that you would help us to be the type of disciple that, that runs to you first. Help us to spend time with you. Help us to... Um, commune with your word in such a way that the promises of God are so available to your spirit that when the storm rises up and we weren't expecting it, the promises, even though we're in the middle of a storm, keep the storm out of our heart. And we have a peace that surpasses all understanding because of your presence with us. Help us to understand more and more about you, we pray. And to honor you in these seasons. In season and out of season, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.